Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table, where every episode I try to interview somebody who's doing something interesting in the world of business. We talk to entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, venture-backed companies, everything you could imagine, and we try to get to the inside story of what motivates people, what advice they have for the rest of us who might feel that you have your ladder against the wrong wall and it's time you branch out and do your own thing. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do because in the society we live in right now, let's face it, we celebrate the entrepreneur and there's a lot of people who are doing some really, really interesting things. So whether this is your 334th episode, because that's how many there have been, or whether this is the first time you've ever tuned in to listen to the show, I hope you're ready because we're going to have a great conversation today with Aman Advani. Now, he is the co-founder and CEO of a company that's kind of different, and they're doing some cool stuff. It's called the Ministry of Supply, and it almost sounded like it was coming out of like you know the, the, the dark side somewhere. It's the Ministry of Supply, but I checked them out online, and we're going to talk about what they do because you're not even going to believe some of the stuff they're doing. It's a performance professional clothing company, and they provide a new way to dress for the office with a system of where-to-work clothing that is designed to take you further daily. So, Aman... Welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So, you know, I mean, I said hey, he's from the Ministry of Supply. Like I said, it sounds like Natasha and Boris should be there. Uh, you know, <laughs> Bullwinkle should be fighting against the Ministry of Supply. Why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit about your company and what you do, and then maybe some background as to who you are. Yeah, for sure. So we, we started the company. It's been about five years now. And uh, and I'll, I'll loop my background into into the into the company description because they're quite deeply tied together. You know, I was a consultant for a few years. I went to school for engineering. You know, went into consulting, getting on a plane every Monday morning, every Thursday night, coming home, and uh, and was kind of wearing this uniform of what we call, like, kind of business casual, super stiff, dry clean everything. You know, yeah, worried about sweat stains, wrinkly, uh, just really uncomfortable. Couldn't wait to get home and take it off and put on you know, gym shorts and, and a t-shirt and go down to the hotel lobby and keep working every night. And, uh, and it was kind of that, that inspired what, what is now ministry of supply and saying, what if we could take everything we loved about our favorite gym clothes, all that technology, all those principles that drive comfort at its core. What if we could isolate those technical principles and actually build them into the dress clothes that we hate. And, <laughs> uh, and by doing so make clothes that we would actually look forward to wearing every day, whether to be to work or beyond, and so we kind of founded Ministry Supply in 2011, my partner and I, Gihan, with that principle in mind. In fact, when we met, uh, we met at MIT in the fall of 2011, and, uh, and both of us had, had had independently kind of come up with and, and prototyped the same idea. And it was so, it felt like, a, you know, a, 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 a too serendipitous to pass up. We joined forces and launched the company in 2012 uh, on Kickstarter, actually, um, to, to bring this kind of new wave of clothing to the world. So... Let's talk a little bit more about that. So you were in the consulting world and you were traveling and we, we talked to a lot of people who cut their teeth doing that after after college. So what was it that made you say, yeah, my ladder's against the wrong wall. I got to go try my own thing. You know, I don't know that I ever actually said that. I feel like sometimes my, my story in, in starting this is almost missing that moment where for me, it was almost just one small step, one small step until I realized I was in. 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was, I went to business school and, and, you know, so I was learning some of the kind of core business principles that I was hand prototyping for years, uh, before even going to school, cutting up, you know, running socks and sewing them into the soles of dress socks. And actually Kihan was doing the same thing with dress shirts. And so for me, it wasn't necessarily about entrepreneurial, you know, uh, spirit as much as just seeing a problem, wanting a solution, and then taking my kind of tinkering style and, and just building the solution, realizing that other people have the same problem. And then at some point down the road, realizing that there was a way that I could actually kind of make a living off of, of bringing that solution and making people more comfortable. So your company's been around, I guess, about six years. What, what does that mean? What does it look like now? How many employees? What are you doing? What's changed since the two of you were grad students saying, hey, let's make stretchy, comfortable clothes? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that a few things have changed. I mean, the first thing is that we're, you know, with two engineers that started a fashion company, you might, you might be thinking, kind of, I bet the clothing's really ugly. And you, you would have been right six years ago. Uh, the first stuff we produced was, you know, diesel. It, it was indestructible. It was a tank. Uh, you know, I ran a Tough Mudder in our first dress shirt and it, it got through it just fine. Um, you know, it dried up a few minutes after the ice bath. Like it was, it was amazing, but it was really ugly. Um, and so we were fortunate then. Pretty shortly after we started the company to partner with some of the best minds in fashion, you know, our design director is, is the former design director at Theory and Brooks Brothers, um, and our head of development is just she's just crazy bright and has, has worked with you know both athletic companies and dress clothing companies, so she knew kind of both principles. And so I think the number one thing that's changed is that we've realized that fashion is fashion and it's an, it's an emotional game, and then of course we have a lot of technology under the hood. But first and foremost, it must look and fit well. Um, and so that's probably from a kind of company or product standpoint, the biggest change. Um, our team right now is about 40 people. About a third of those are here in Boston at our headquarters. And the other two thirds are spread through our eight stores across the U.S. that are all kind of direct to consumer uh, owned and operated retail channels that we just love uh, an opportunity to connect with customers directly. So you guys have eight stores. What cities are you in? We are. Let's make sure I nail them all. Uh, Atlanta, <laughs> D.C., Bethesda, Chicago, New York, Boston, San Francisco, San Fran, and L.A. Awesome. Well, you're missing Austin, Texas. <laughs> I think that, that's right. That's where the next store next should on be. The, list. the next store. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for the Ministry of Supply in Austin, Texas. Yeah, count us in. If you find us a good spot, we'll be there. So, so what is, I mean, you know, when I first heard about you, I've done a little research and I've seen some of the stuff you do, but when I first heard, uh, you know, and somebody said, oh, you got to have a mon on your show. And I was like, so dress clothes that are like sweats. I mean, not just the look, but I thought, what, what are they like? So what are your clothes like? What do they look like? What do they, what do they stretch and feel like? Yeah, so we, we often kind of jokingly refer to this three-foot test. If you were standing three feet from me, would you realize that I was wearing something that was dramatically different from from the norm, right? How do you balance convention and invention? How do you make sure that you don't look like you're standing out and wearing gym clothes to work, yeah. <laughs> but still maintain that level of comfort and That's performance what, behind it? That so, was my thought. I this, thought I thought I'm going to look like I'm I'm too casual. Totally, no. It's the first thing that we have to dispel when we kind of talk about the concept without being able to show it to you. Is, is that it looks very similar to what you would wear to work, right? It's it's all you know. It, it's pretty principally from a fit and, and style perspective. We don't actually like to take massive departures from the norm. You'll, you'll notice subtleties. Uh, for instance, all of our dress shirts have a curved back yoke, which is not traditional. Uh, it's okay. It doesn't make you stand out. But what it does do is allow the, the four-way stretch fabric to actually achieve its greatest stretch because now there's no seam stopping it. You know, a straight back yoke seam would stop you from stretching. And I don't want to get overly technical there, but the point just being there will be subtle differences between what we have in this, as an aesthetic and a more traditional kind of wear-to-work aesthetic. 
but nothing that would alienate you in, in a crowd. Um, but <laughs> what, what, what is very different is when you kind of pick the stuff up, touch, feel, grab, pull, uh, you know, machine wash everything. Um, that's when you notice the difference between what it means when I say performance driven comfort, right? Is that it's this idea that you cannot fundamentally get sweat stains. Uh, you know, you do not need to dry, dry clean that you can throw everything in the machine that you don't have to iron anything that these things, you know, are we, we now we now find to be kind of relics of the past. I haven't owned an iron in years and, and, and uh, I'm happier for it. So, you know, I'm a professional speaker by trade, so I'm on stage. So when you said like the three foot, you know, the three foot rule, I thought, yeah, that totally makes sense because I can't go to a conference and have people come up afterwards and think, what the heck is he wearing? So, so <laughs> yeah. you, you have clothes. I mean, is it, is it, you know, when you say they're for the office, I mean, are there blazers? Are there button downs? Are there khakis? What 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 are we talking about? Totally, I think the the, the critique I often get from my pitches that I never actually tell you what we make. Yeah, uh, tell tell question. me tell, that would be a really good thing to tell us. What do you make? <laughs> yeah, I should I should work on that in, in my uh, in my speech. But uh, no, it's a great question. So I, you know, the range has actually grown a lot. So when we say where to work, that that you know has has a broad definition, both in terms of trade and use case, but also in terms of what your day looks like today. We talk a lot about work-life integration, replacing work-life balance, where you're just as likely to be at the gym at noon on Wednesday as you are working on a Saturday. And that might be a little bit hyperbolic for some, but it's the direction we seem to be moving. Um, it also means the kind of overall casualization for where to work wardrobe says that the range of what you might wear to work uh, is a little different today than it was five or 10 years ago. So we make everything from polos, shorts, kind of on the casual end, chinos, all the way up through a beautiful machine washable suit that has stretch and, and looks incredibly sharp and tailored. So it's a range of, of you know, and that's on the men's side, of course, and the women's side. There's also, uh, we have some beautiful dresses. We have uh, what we, we consider our version of the silk top, uh, pants, socks, um, you know, all the things you would need to say, you know, other than footwear really and accessories. Uh, our, our line would take you from kind of uh, bed to the office. Now, I saw a video when I was doing a little bit of prep for this call, and it was like a seamless piece of clothing. There was like no seam. What was that that I was watching? Yeah, it's a really fun. So we, we like to kind of play and experiment a little bit and say, well, what is clothing going to look like in two, five, 10, 20 years? And, uh, and so we stumbled upon this, this, uh, this machine, really. It was called a whole garment machine. Um, it was from our partners, uh, Shima Seki. And, uh, and it's beautiful. It's effectively 3D printing clothing. Um, and we often refer to it and say, it's this big oven. I mean, and, and it literally it's a, you know, an eight foot long, uh, you know, probably a little bit longer. Uh, it's the size of a very large couch and, and significantly heavier machine uh, where it goes straight from yarn to finished garment and completely seamless. So where seams are often the failure points of garments, this has none. I mean, these garments are relatively indestructible. And so we as kind of designers said, well, what do we do with this this oven, right? Let's Let's make sure that we're not just making something for the sake of making it. And so we kind of looked around and said, what garment could really use an upgrade in terms of kind of the comfort and, and feel of it. Um, and so we ended up, the first garment we launched with was a, a three, we call a 3D print knit blazer. And I'd say in a lot of ways, we basically hacked the machine to be able to create something, you know, that, that actually looked and felt like, you know, somewhere between a blazer and a cardigan, but had that kind of uh, to dress up, whether it be dressing up a t-shirt and jeans or, or dress up a dress shirt and slacks, um, but that, that this thing came off the 3D printer and was ready to wear, um, you know, just one machine cycle later. Uh, but it also allowed us to produce stuff on demand, you know, where we could print stuff per customer, you know, whether that be custom ventilation patterns that you wanted because of how your skin expels heat compared to somebody else's, 
or whether that just be a custom colorway that you really liked, you know, uh, either one, we're now all, all, all able to accommodate when we're printing stuff on demand. So it's a really cool concept. It's a small part of our business to be candid. Um, but one we think that we're willing to bet on growing over the coming years as, as a wave of what fashion could look like in a couple of years. Yeah, if I remember correctly, when I watched the video, you have one of these machines in one of your stores, and I could essentially walk in and say, yes, I need a blue blazer. And 90 minutes later, I would have this, as you called it, freshly cooked out of the oven, uh, you know, blue blazer that I could put on over my, you know, over my dress shirt and my my jeans and, and dress it up. And yet I could stand there like I was at the donut shop. Uh, you know, <laughs> who are the donut people where you stand there in the window and watch your donuts go by through the fryer and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're at Krispy Kreme and you watch the donuts go by. I could watch the whole thing be knitted while standing there. And I found that fascinating. But the reality is, do I need to come in and have it made that way? I mean, you know, I mean, what what's the purpose of a, of a machine that does that? I mean, where do you see that going? Yes, there's so many layers of of what makes it so special for us. Like I said, there's garment quality, certainly in terms of it being relatively indestructible. Um, There's a waste component to say, you know, traditional cut and sew fashion has quite a bit of waste in the fabric. Uh, You know, this is going straight from yarn to finished garment. So there is almost zero waste. It's less than a handful of total waste that comes off per garment. So there's certainly a sustainability angle here. Um, There's also a sustainability angle in the sense that we have to forecast demand for, you know, traditional off-the-rack clothing, um, but this, which is kind of effectively custom, has no obsolescence, right? There's no inventory that goes bad, so there's no big sale and clearance section. There's no big, you know, clothing dump at the end of the year that, you know, traditional, let's say, fast fashion really embraces. That's where I buy all Um, my clothes, though. Wait a minute. That's where where I do all my shopping. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's a a very different, you know, style of of thinking, right, and saying, what are the benefits here? I think that, that one of our favorite parts of the whole thing is that in that particular use case, letting the customer be part of the creative process is pretty cool. Whether, like I said, it, it being you know, in our Santa Monica store in LA, uh, you can go in and you can take an actual heat profile, see how does your skin actually breathe? How do you expel heat you personally? And then we can map that uh, onto a garment and then print that garment out. So we print you a sweater that breathes in the same way that you do. Um, and these are kind of cool applications we've found to say, what is the future of clothing? Well, this is certainly one vision or view of it that we want to explore and understand better. So now that you've been doing this for, you know, six years, what do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur versus working for some company and hopping on planes and working in hotels? What do you, what do you like about the fact that you've started your own thing? Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll dispel one quick rumor where there's a frequent answer to that question is I get to be my own boss, um, <laughs> which I'll quickly dispel is not the case, right? In fact, if anything, I have more bosses now than I ever had before, whether it be the responsibility I have to our investors, to our team, uh, to our partners, our, our manufacturers, our, our mar- you know, marketing, our, our agencies, clients, anything like that. I, I, you know, I, I am, I am, you know, here to serve them. And so I think that, that, that rumor is very much dispelled on you get to be your own boss, quote unquote, which is, is not the case. Um, and, and, and rightfully so in the sense that you signed up and made a commitment to build something. So, uh, but what, what my actual answer to that would be uh, just the feeling and, and, and whether that's, you know, I think this applies to certainly starting something, but also joining something at a relatively early or small stage is, is the, the beauty of getting to see progress of live and, and have an effect on that. So again, if you looked at a dress shirt that we made six years ago compared to something that we're making right now, it's a world of a difference. Um, and the stuff we're making right now is just absolutely beautiful and that we stand behind deeply as, as truly some of the best clothing on the market. 
Nice. Um, and, and six years ago, that wasn't the case. It was technically sound. It was beautiful uh, from an engineering perspective. <laughs> um, but to really capture the essence of form meets function, it took us a while to figure out. But to get to see and be part of that progress is something really special and personal that you can't really kind of replicate. Um, or at least I had trouble replicating in a world where we were always serving other clients and consulting. It was never your baby. So what advice do you have for someone who's listening who, who wants to go off and launch their own thing? They want to build something. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, I think so much of the advice can center around the tactics of it in terms of how to get your next prototype or how to kind of find the right team members. And I think there's boatloads of information and research out there, and I'm happy to share my perspective on any of that. I think that if I had kind of one soundbite to give from advice, it's some advice that someone gave me early on that I really appreciated was... Um, to, to, the, the, the phrasing was generally uh, to, to go out there and find believers rather than trying to convince non-believers, right? That if you're constantly fighting an uphill battle or everyone that you're, you're engaging with is, is detracting, um, it's exhausting and it's also unproductive. But if you're finding believers, uh, people who uh, you know, see your mission, understand your, your passion, um, you can usually help to build something for them. So whether that's when you're seeking investment, whether that's seeking customers, um, whether that's finding team members to join you, uh, I think the phrasing applies to all of those uh, in the sense of finding people who are excited about the mission instead of people who you have to convince to buy into the mission. Um, and now that's, of course, not to a fault. You don't want to find a bunch of people who are just validating what you're saying and surrounding yourself with you know, the same opinion. But overwhelmingly and overarchingly finding people that uh, really believe and understand the vision. Um, now, how you get there might be a, a matter of conversation, but in the, in the short-term kind of decision-making, finding those people that, that you would surround yourself with is just huge and impactful on so many levels. Well, and what I do for a living is I go in and I speak to teams, and one of my topics is about, I call it the paradox of potential. And, you know, just because somebody has potential doesn't mean they're going to get results. And I love the fact where you talk about surrounding yourself with the right people and people who believe and you don't have to constantly be selling them on what you do because one of the biggest things I hear when I go in and do trainings or when I do consulting with people or, or I'm speaking at a big conference and people line up to talk to me, one of the big things people talk about is one of the things that holds them back from reaching that potential, it always falls into the people bucket. And and that can be they're not yeah, being supported. Yeah. They're not being supported by their boss. They're not being supported by their spouse. They're not being supported, you know, somewhere people feel that there's a breakdown in their life when it comes to the people. And I love the way you phrase that, that, you know, go find believers rather than having to essentially, you know, convert everybody that you run into. And it's, it's choosing who you put on your team. I think is, I think it's really, really valuable advice. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think you nailed it right there. I think uh, someone gave us this, this, uh, you know, the risk of sounding like the entrepreneur with a bunch of cheesy one-liners. I'll throw another one out there that I really enjoyed and is very kind of related. It's this idea that, Potential equals, uh, sorry, performance equals potential minus interference. Um, and, I, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a math guy and I enjoy kind of a good equation and, and really breaking that one down. It's back to what you said. It's finding the people with the highest potential and removing kind of uh, those with the, that, that we would consider interference and getting kind of in the way of that. So, um, you know, surrounding yourself with the, the, the highest possible potential and then taking the time to remove any interference is, is exactly what that is. I, you know, I think I think that's awesome. I may just steal that mathematical equation because I, I don't know anything about math. If I put a if I put an equals and a minus sign in front of it, I'm, you know, it's I'm already in over my head. So, but I but but I do I I focus on this gap that exists so often between potential 
and results. So if we go back six years, you and your partner start this company, you're engineers, you have this idea of how to design clothing, clothing and, and change up the way it's made so that it's comfortable and yet strong and all this different stuff. And your business, you had your business plan, you had all this thought, well, you guys had a lot of potential, but that didn't guarantee anything. I bet in the last six years, there've been 600 people who've tried to start clothing companies who crashed and burned. So what did you do or how do you think people get over that gap between, oh, we've got so much potential to, hey, we're really doing this. Yeah, it's such a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reflect here, uh, you know, a little bit on the fly and, 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 and uh, instead of kind of overthinking, I'll give you my gut response, which is just sheer relentlessness. Um, I think that if my, if there's anything that, that my partner, Gihan and I take pride in, and certainly in our entire team at this point, is just an absolute relentlessness to, to win uh, and to want to see this come to life and to care so much about this vision and about the products behind it. I mean, I think if we were making something that we weren't so excited and passionate about, it would be hard to muster up that relentlessness. But because we deeply believe this is exactly what fashion should be and that we should get rid of the kind of traditional view of business casual and rally around a new one, if we didn't believe that so strongly and so you know, deeply, uh, I think that that relentlessness would be hard. Uh, but because we do, uh, we just have no quit in us. And I know that sounds, again, like a bit of a one-liner, but at the risk of, uh, of sounding cliche, I'll, I'll, I'll really double down on it. I think it's surely that... Uh, Gihan and I, and like I said, now our entire team have just such a deep desire to see this come to fruition that we absolutely don't relent. Well, first of all, I don't think you sound like a cliche at all because all cliches are based in truth. The second thing is I think, I, so. I, I think there's a lot to be said in business you know, for consistency and for longevity in being able to do this mm -hmm. now, now for six years. So when I first started my career, you know, I wanted to be a professional speaker, but I wasn't famous. I wasn't employee number three at Southwest Airlines. I, I didn't have what I call sort of a box checker, right? I mean, I'd written a couple books, but they weren't, you know, New, New York Times bestsellers. So I wasn't, I wasn't somebody who it's like, oh, let's put him on the big stage. And somebody very close to me asked the question, when do you quit? Because I've been trying to do this for a couple of years and I was having moderate success, but not the level of success I'd had as a marketing director in corporate America. So, you know, my family was, we were struggling to make ends meet. And this person said, you know, when do you quit? When do you just go say, I wouldn't cut out, I'd go get a job. And, and my answer was, I, I don't quit. Even if I have to go get a job, I still can do this on the side. I'd done it on the side for years. I'd, you know, been training people and, you know, got asked to speak at conferences all over the place. I still can always do it on the side. But I said, I know for sure that 100% of the people who quit don't succeed. And I just sort of doubled, I just sort of doubled down after I said that. It was sort of one of those oddly profound moments that I had that was like, if I quit, I'm never going to make it. And, you know, about a year later, all of a sudden I was earning what I'd earned in corporate America and I haven't looked back. And so, you know, I think you're right on the, the, the spot that, you know, one of the ways to get across that gap is just, you just keep going across the gap. I think that's exactly right. I think, I think hearing your story, you know, just reminds me, and I think reminds, I'm sure all of your listeners that, you know, at some point uh, there, there are bad ideas, but if you kind of find a deeper <laughs> purpose within them, uh, and the deeper mission, I think a lot of people have some really great ideas out there that they probably uh, depart from a little bit earlier than they should. Well, and today, before I did this this call with you, today I spoke at a, at a team meeting for a company of about, I don't know, about 40 employees, and they brought me in to come and talk about sort of how do we really connect with people in a world where everybody's looking for shortcuts and likes, links, shares, and follows – you know, does human engagement really matter? And so I went in and had this conversation and, and the person, the, the head person of the company really liked it. And he was like, how did we find you? Well, their marketing person had brought me into his last company to do a similar type talk nine years ago. 
Like I was, I, I don't even think I was doing it full time then, or if I was, I was brand new. And he was like, you know, he goes, that's how business works. I said, that's how this business works. It was nine years since I had any contact with this person. He's in a whole new company. And it was like, boom. And now, you know, this will lead to something else will lead to something else. But nine years, absolutely. you know, if I had quit in between, I wouldn't have been there today. And that was a, that was a pretty nice little, little afternoon. So it's, you know, sometimes you just have to just keep going across the gap, as I said. So Aman, I'm not gonna let you go yet, because this is one of the more fascinating interviews and, and you're doing some really cool things. But first, before I can keep asking you questions, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Aman Advari. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Aman, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, we just actually launched a project yesterday that we're just insanely proud of. Uh, it's one, and I think this is just such a perfect timing. Uh, it, we launched it. So I, I told you that about five, a little, almost six years ago, we launched our company on Kickstarter, um, which for those of you who don't know, is is a, a crowdfunding website. It's effectively a chance to first and foremost validate that people actually want what you're selling. Um, and secondly, it's a way to kind of collect pre-orders for an eventual launch. So you kind of give folks an advantage for getting in early. And so we launched this product on on, on Kickstarter yesterday, and it, it, it started off with a, a pretty overwhelming boom that we're really excited about. But the product is an intelligent heated jacket. Uh, so I think it's your winter coat, but really upgraded in several ways. So from an aesthetic standpoint, it's a beautiful matte finished coat. It's kind of city ready, but we say mounted grade. Uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a polyester insulation filling that, that, uh, that will keep you warm under many, many circumstances. But the coolest part of it is these carbon fiber heating pads. Um, that actually warm up uh, automatically. So if you pick the jacket up, there's an accelerometer in there uh, that, that reads the motion of the jacket to say, I'm about to put this jacket on, let's get it heated up. Uh, if you walk outside, the temperature drops, it automatically knows to heat up, it warms back up, it cools back down, um, all without you picking up a finger. Now there, there are also ways to control it manually, whether it be through a power button on the jacket, a connected app via Bluetooth, or probably my favorite, the ability to be sitting on the couch and say, Alexa, turn on my jacket and have your jacket, which is on the coat rack downstairs, automatically start heating up so that when you go down to put the jacket on and walk to work, it's already warmed up and ready to go. So kind of fighting those really cold winter days, um, we do it in a vest too. And so we decided to say, hey, this is kind of a wild idea we had. We had heard feedback from a lot of customers that, um, you know, this idea that we had de de determined to be kind of your own personal thermostat, this idea that you know, Nest has done with you know, uh, uh, space thermostats, could we basically create a personal microclimate and build a thermostat into a jacket? So we created a custom chip. Uh, my partner, Guion actually coded it, you know, manually uh, and then built it and, and miniaturized it um, and built it into the jacket. And you wouldn't even notice the stuff is there if you put the jacket on. You wouldn't even feel it. Um, but if you wanted it to turn on, you'd be pretty happy. About it. So it's pretty special. It's probably everything that's kind of consumed our last uh, <laughs> a few you know, days, weeks, months, uh, getting ready for this launch. And now it's fully on the market on kickstarter.com. 
Uh, if you just search intelligent heated jacket, you'd find it pretty quickly or, or Ministry of Supply. All right. So I have asked 300 entrepreneurs on this podcast over the last three and a half years. So what are you doing that's cool? You might have just won. That's all. You might have. You might have just won. That's all I know. I, I have no it's idea. It's pretty cool. We're really excited about it. I think it's 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 truly kind of on another level in terms of of if even stuff we've done uh, that that is both really interesting and, and kind of technologically advanced, but more importantly, actually really impactful. And to think that you could make clothing that actually gets better over time. I mean, it is fully kind of machine learning built, so it's going to take your preferences into consideration and grow. I'll stop talking your ear off about it, but I just uh, <laughs> I keep going on and on about how cool this thing is, but that it should actually have a positive impact on your life is, is the ultimate end goal. Oh, that's exciting. And like I said, I, it wasn't ever a contest, but if it was, you just won. So that's, you know, there you go. Um, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> so, you know, I think that entrepreneurs, you know, I think entrepreneurs are great observers too. So I love to ask everybody who comes on the show, who do you see out there in the world of entrepreneurship where you think, oh, he or she, they're crushing it. They're doing cool stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, I'm going to give you an answer that 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 might uh, might not fit the mold of, of the. Um, There's no rules. Of, There's uh, no rules. It's all good. Yeah, so we you know we've we've actually found uh, a, a lot, and I think one of the things that we enjoy doing is experiencing some of the uh, nonprofits in, in the area or around us that have missions that we believe in, uh, and it's a different kind of style of entrepreneurship. But um, over the last couple of years, we've gotten to know a group of folks called Deliver Fund. Um, and and I, I really like seeing entrepreneurship in spaces where entrepreneurship is not normally there. I mean, some of our friends are, are rethinking how you deliver sparkling water to an office, which is kind of this nuance or niche where entrepreneurship you know, previously wasn't welcome. But in this one case, this, this group of folks um, at a company called Deliver Fund has really kind of inspired us and excited us. It's kind of a, a group of ex-military folks, you know, some Navy SEALs and, and this kind of really cool people uh, taking on human trafficking in a way that kind of the, the, the traditional means haven't been able to do that through you know, some special skills they offer, but also just a new mindset. And by taking human trafficking on with their you know, approach, they've been wildly successful in doing so, uh, that we just get inspired by looking at people taking on really interesting challenges from almost an outsider's perspective and saying, what if we put a fresh pair of eyes on this issue? Um, and, and the first one that comes to mind is, is not a kind of traditional startup, but one um, that's a, a bit off the beaten path and taking on a, a challenge in society that I think we'd all agree is, is, is appalling and needs to be stopped. Well, it is that. That is for sure. So, so the final question I ask everybody is, what do you do? And you've sort of touched on this already with, with saying that you admire people in that sort of social entrepreneurship space. But what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think more than making money, I think entrepreneurs do want to leave a mark behind. So, so what do you do? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we, we talk a lot about this as a company. I think we also split it off in saying kind of personally and professionally, right? There's two forms of self. There's you know, me as an individual and there's me as a part of the company. And, and, uh, and so I think we, we, we try to answer that question on both fronts and I suspect almost everybody on our team could give you answers on both fronts on a personal front. You know, I, I, I pretty deep belief in kind of one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So I've been part of the big brothers, big sisters program for about 12 years now. And, uh, and my little brother is a really special person. We have, we have a bond that I, that I never anticipated, um, it, you know, and, 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 and it's continuing to grow over time on a professional level. We decided as a company to say, how can we be a kind of a, a responsible proprietor of clothing. Um, and, and for us, that was saying it was all about sustainability is how could we actually per, per, uh, perpetuate a, a cycle of clothing instead of clothing being kind of fairly linear and it's, it's born and then it's dead. And then when it's dead, it's in a landfill and it's, it's not doing good things for the world. 
Um, and so what we do is we actually, when we send out clothing to our customers, we collect the donations back that people are going to push out of their closet. So presumably if you buy a new dress shirt from us, an old one probably fell to the back of your closet. We encourage you. In fact, we pick up the tab for you to get that dress shirt back to us. And then what we do is we collect all that clothing up. We catalog it by size. Uh, if it's not clean, we clean it. If it's uh, damaged, we'll consider repairing it. Um, if it's unusable, we will find a responsible way to dispose of it. Um, but we collect all that clothing up. And then what we do is we actually pack it into individual packages for folks that need it uh, to get ready for the workforce. So, for instance, one of our partners is the International Institute of New England, um, who prepares refugees to kind of enter the workforce upon entrance into the country. They'll send us uh, an email, uh, actually it's a, a small form saying, hey, we've got 15 new folks coming in. Uh, can we prepare them packages? We'll get their sizes and preferences. And then in each package, uh, each person that uh, is, is part of this program will receive deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, a dress shirt, dress pants, and a fresh pair of ministry to supply brand new dress socks. That, that part's on us, of course. So uh, we arrange that. We send those, let's say, 15 bags over to the International Institute of New England, and uh, and they get them in the hands of the people that can use them and hopefully uh, use them in an interview situation to get a job and become kind of members of society. And so for us, it's a really special program on, on a number of levels. We call it one in, one out, mm-hmm. uh, which is effectively kind of you get a dress shirt in you put a dress shirt out. Um, it, it has many benefits, of course, in, in that it, it creates a true cycle of clothing that gives that clothing a second life and, and, and uh, in a very vertical way. Um, and two, of course, we get to impact the recipients of that second life in a, hopefully a positive way. So it's a program that we've been running for a long time now. We've, we've uh, donated thousands of items, uh, including donations, but also, like I said, um, all the stuff we add, whether it be the toiletries or the socks, and get these folks ready with, with this kind of kit that's that's in their hands for a time when they really need it. Oh, I think that that is amazing. That is awesome. I'm so glad that I had you here as a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So I'm curious if, if my guests, or let's face it, me, are like, wait a minute, I got to get my hands on some clothes from Ministry of Supply. I have to have this. This is too cool not to own a piece that I can tell people, oh, have you seen my shirt? How do people, if they don't live in one of those eight cities, how in the world can they get in touch with you to get clothing? Yeah, I'd say I, you can shop us anytime, ministryofsupply.com. Um, you can always shoot us a note. Our, our, our overall inbox is just Q, the letter Q, uh, at ministryofsupply.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, my name is Amon. Uh, and you can always shoot us a note, and, uh, and we would love to hear from you. Is that just Amon at Ministry of Supply? That's it. Yep. Huh? See, there you go. We're going to flood your inbox. It's going to be like, oh, God, more people from Cool Things on tomorrow. Bring it on. I look forward to it. So, well, again, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. I say it every time, though. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So thanks for tuning in. Whether this was your first show or number 334, hey, come back and listen again because we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Amon. I know that seems hard, but we're going to find somebody just as cool. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Cool Podcast. On Facebook, uh, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If you want to join the group coaching program, it's potentialmastermind.com. You'll find out all the information about that fun little group that we have there. And uh, otherwise, just go to iTunes and leave a review. If you liked this show, I like nothing more than every now and then getting a new review where somebody said, hey, I liked the show with the Ministry of Supply or whoever you listen to. Uh, It just makes my day better when you review the show. So go over to iTunes and do that. uh, And we will be back in a couple of days. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.